Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. I need a clean edit. Three, two, one. Welcome back, Criminal Mischief fans, to another bonus episode of Criminal Mischief. We are uh, written and hosted by the great Carolyn Osorio. I produce the show. My name is Brandon. And uh, as I always say, we're just lucky to have her. And she's here again today. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hello, Brandon. But you have to stop your shtick because you are the co-host of the bonus episode. Yes, I know. But I know. But you're still you're still the one you're still the one driving the bus. So, uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I just, we, we, in our pregame, I just had like one of those moments of like, you know, when you have those moments of happiness, like it's just like a little, little mm-hmm. thing inside of you that's like so happy, right? Um, I went for a hike and there's this mountain that I go and it's not a mountain. It's like basically 20 minutes up, but it's all uphill, right? And then you can't cheat. You know, you have to, you have to get up there, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I pull up. And I'm sitting here blasting, um, you know, that song, Return of the Mac. Mm-hmm. Return of the Mac. Okay, so I pull up blasting it. I've got to set the stage. And there's like all these seniors and they're about ready to like hit the trails, right? And um, and so I get out because I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to hurry. I got to get ahead of them, right? So I go up to the top and I come back down. And as I'm coming back down, I there's all these slippery like leaves that are wet. And I'm thinking, I need to make sure to tell these seniors, these women that are coming up, how slippery the you know the, the wet leaves are, because I'm starting to worry about them, right? So I come down and um then they are they're all climbing up in a row and I go to the side and they are like boss seniors. I mean they are like they got their sticks mm-hmm. and they are like fully geared out. You know, and like REI, like ultra, like we know what the fuck we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they're all in a row and they're like, you know, thank you and thank you. And I'm like, thank you. And I'm like, this is, and they were all super fit and trim and like going up the mountain. And I just felt like, you know, here I thought I was so arrogant. I'm like jumping out. Like, and, and I just feel like I love it that people are active yeah. into the their 70s and 80s. I mean, some of them had to have been close to 80. You know, been doing it probably been probably been doing it with their ski poles for like a long time. The hiking, like mountaineering, <laughs> trekking, trekking, they call it. I think, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I went back down, and there was like this line of they were all Subarus. Like every single one of them drove like a Subaru. Of course, and it's Northwest, like, you crunchy tree hugging fucks up there in the yeah, Subarus and. And Birkenstocks, ah, fuck off. Believe me, and I'm like wearing my Rocky gear, you know, I've got like right. my Goonies on and I'm just like totally, but it was just a great moment. It's yeah. like, I love where I live and I love it that people are out and doing it. So anyway. I had a Paul Revere moment on my hike, uh, gosh, Friday, I think. I was um, very, very similar to what you're talking about. It's straight up. It's about a mile and a half straight up. Um, not stairs. It's like fire trails, right? It's called Fryman Canyon. It's in, on the Valley side in Los Angeles. And, um, and not super crowded. It's a big, well, kind of wide open space and you could find like your own way up if you want. But then on the way down, I stay on the main fire trail cause I like running and it's, and it's smoother. And so I'm coming down and, and it's up there. It's in like the Hills of California, a lot of like sagebrush and 
chaparral or whatever the fuck they call it and trees and stuff. And, um, and you see rabbits and you see birds and hawks and lizards and shit. <clears throat> and I'm coming around this corner and there's, and a lot of people walk their dogs there. Okay. And I come around this bend and I see a dog alone, like in the middle of the trail. And I went, Oh, that's weird. What's that dog doing? And then I stop because it's a coyote. Okay. And the coyote's out. The coyote's fucking hunting. Right. And he's looking for someone with a little dog off leash because some people walk their dogs off leash and it sees me and it freezes. And we like lock eyes. I'm like, Oh, I know you're a fucking bad guy. Right. And the coyote kind of like, like runs away a little bit. Because I know I you're a bad guy too. Like we, it, it was a moment like game recognized game. Yeah, fuck, I see you, motherfucker. And so he like doesn't run. He's kind of brave, but he like kind of backs up off the trail and goes down the hill a little bit. And then I just see him just like the, just his eyes above the trail. Like he's down there just below. I'm like, I still see you dipshit, right? I know what you're doing there. <clears throat> and so I like charge him. And he like goes down the hill a little bit more, but still doesn't leave. So he must smell. Like, I'm like, he's got to smell something there. And I don't know what the hell it is, but he knows that something's coming. And so I start running. And then like 15, 20 yards later, there's another little bend. And here's a little off leash chihuahua who is just like a tater tot for this coyote. Okay. So I tell the girl and the girl instantly thinks that I'm some LA douchebag trying to hit on her. So excuse me. And I motion to take her earplugs out. And she goes, uh, no, thanks. I'm like, no stop for a second she goes what i'm like there's a fucking coyote 10 feet off the trail it's gonna eat your fucking dog okay she goes oh my god thank you so much and she picks the dog i'm like gosh i should have just let her go but it was a cool looking dog and then the whole way down i saw like 10 or 12 other people with dogs some unleashed some off leash i'm like hey there's a coyote hunting on the right side of the trail and everyone was like all right cool and i felt great i'm like i'm brand is the hero yeah giving back i'm giving back good job Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I was waiting for that. All right. Well, yeah. you know what? You're a hero, Brandon. You're a hero there are of the some, show. There are some horror stories, you know, that make the news when a celebrity loses their dog. Like, didn't like like Jessica Simpson or someone like that, like a coyote came up and her dog was on leash and the coyote still came up and just grabbed it and fucking took off. Yeah. You know, we have coyotes in our neighborhood and I yeah. can hear them, but they, they hide, they run. They don't like, we're, I'm not doing that thing that you're doing where it's like, I see you, I see you. Like, I, yeah. my kids and I were driving well, just the other day. I'm like, hey, look at, I think that's a coyote. And yeah. we all just looked from the car and then it like saw us and it ran away. Like, it's sad because you know, if they're out like that and if they're brave like that, it's got to mean that they're hungry, you know? Yeah, if they're that absolutely. if they're that brazen. But what's great about LA is that um, you know, we have these mountain lions and stuff, and there was that one that got national attention, I think numbered like P forty one or P forty four or something that lived like twenty years and had mm-hmm. to cross the four oh five freeway or you know, like the one seventy freeway or whatever, like a lot. And then unfortunately, ultimately it got hit by a car and it died. Um but the death of P44, it was like a, a LA mascot. Like everybody loved this fucking mountain lion and it would show up on people's ring cameras and everything. And, and, um, and so that prompted this huge humanitarian effort uh, to save future mountain lions or coyotes or any kind of, not, not migratory, but animals whose habitat is in this urban environment with these massive freeways, um, that there's an overpass that's being built that's going to look like it's just an extension of the environment, you know? We already have that, baby. We've already yeah. got that. 
I know, and we wine. don't hear, and we it's don't. Amazing! It's a huge thing, and it's like every time I drive by it, I'm like, which I don't do often, but there's a place that we go to yeah. called Sancadia that's out there. It's probably about you know, like seventy minutes away from where we live, and it's like this was made just for the animals. Yeah, as it I should. I mean, massive structure. But you know how it's hard amazing. it is in Los Angeles to allocate any funds having to do with the freeway system that doesn't alleviate traffic. Okay. I know that's what I'm saying. Right. And people when it's will re people rejected it forever, but the, yeah. the, the just the the groundswell of of support and and kind of sadness for this when when this mountain lion died, we were like, all right, now's the time to push this legislation through, and it's and it's happening. Also Okay, so the so so the mountain lion became the poster boy to actually get, Absolutely. or it could be a mountain lioness. Yeah, to be it okay. That's funny. That is so wag the dog. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, of course, oh, love it, love it, David Mamet. But love it, that movie. it had been proposed for a long time and rejected because it's like, well, we could widen this lane or add an off ramp or whatever, you know. And people are like, that's more important. Oh. I yeah, I'm, but then this 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 lion dies. Um, and now all of a sudden it's happening and it's already under construction. It's going to be great. Can't wait. Cool. Save the, save cool. the mountain lions. Save the mountain lions. All right. So let's get to uh, the escape from Alcatraz. Um, mm -hmm. Much like you, my entire knowledge of this incident was based on the Clint Eastwood movie. Okay. Which I absolutely loved as a kid. I did too. Um, yeah. I still have kind of weird memories of when the guy chops his fingers off with the hatchet in the wood shop. Remember that part of the movie? You know, I, I don't remember that specific one, but like the dummies and just the whole like creativity of the whole thing. And, and I was thinking about my love for Clint Eastwood. I think that it started with the every which way, but loose series. Did you ever Ilo, see that? One? Ilo Beto, the bare knuckle fighter. Yeah. It's incredible with Clyde, the orangutan. Yes, and, and, I oh, yeah. love Clyde, and the and kind of and the kind of like weirdly homophobic with the biker gang and the Blue Oyster Bar. Remember all that? Like, what's wrong with it? I just remember yeah. loving, loving. I didn't pick up on any homoeroticism. Sorry. Oh, there was. There definitely was. Remember the biker gang that was always out to get him. Don't you remember that that B story through both movies? All right, anyway, revisit. Revisit the movies. They were great. I didn't even remember every which way but loose until I started thinking, like, why was I watching why was I watching this movie? And I'm like, oh, that's right. I loved Clint Eastwood and I loved the orangutan. I love that whole Clyde. entire thing. I right turn, Clyde. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, his friend in that, the shorter white dude, the comedic, the comic comic relief in those movies, that actor. <laughs> is the late uh, father of Juliet Lewis. The actor. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's her dad. Wow, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was terrific. I was just thinking of the teeth. They had that similar kind of... Yeah. 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 yeah he was terrific. He was terrific. Uh, <clears throat> so Clint Eastwood was, was fantastic. But in that movie, one of the B stories was this mm -hmm. older inmate who mm -hmm. was an artist. He was a portrait painter. And yeah. in his cell, there were just all of the canvases that he'd done. And the warden, the bad guy, came and like tossed this old guy's cell and saw a portrait that he had made of the warden. And I guess the warden didn't like it and so took all his paintings away. 
and took all his, you know. So then the guys in the woodshop, and that's all that he had. He goes, paintings all I have. Like that was his line that like broke my heart when I was a kid. And then he's in the woodshop and he just puts his hand on the workbench and takes a hatchet and bang. Oh, right. Cuts right. A, now that you're still- cuts his fingers off. Okay. Yeah. And Eastwood sees it. And that that's just supposed to be more motivation for him to have to get out of here. This is a bad mm-hmm. prison, whatever. Yeah. And um, I was, completely forgot about yeah, that. But was, you know, that's like so relatable because you know there's people like that that do that, that ruin people's dreams because exactly. you might have said something that made them look bad or something in that moment. You might have said yeah. some quip or just whatever. And then the guy, it totally destroys him and he cuts off his freaking fingers. Like, right. yeah. It's a recurring theme. You know, that was in. You know, it would, like Hannibal Lecter had some scenes with, you know, the 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 warden, I guess, of whatever his prison he was in that would like take oh, away. Oh, that actor played so good. He was so good. He was so good. He was so good. He would take away his drawings or take away, you know, and Lecter would say, mm-hmm. he does enjoy his petty torments, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then it ends with him having an old friend for dinner and he fucking sees that guy. Yeah. Oh, you know, he, he got such just desserts. You know, it's funny because I always think now, when I hate a character like that with as much vitriol as I'm like, this guy's a really good actor, or this woman's right. a really great actor, because like, when they when they they can make you hate them with such vitriol, yeah. it's like you know they're really good. And when you get to guy, when you get to like the level of like genius level performance, when you have like, um, in Inglorious Bastards, right, Hans Landa, mm-hmm. like the Jew hunter. Right. And, and oh God, why am I blanking on the actor's name? I am blanking on it. He's a two-time Academy Award winner. Uh, oh. Yeah. One I'll, guy that uh, Yeah, Christoph Waltz. Sorry, Christoph Waltz. He's great. So, I mean, incredible as an, and really taking the bad guy and elevating it. Now, of course, you have the writing of Quentin Tarantino and the direction of Quentin Tarantino and the, you know, he's acting opposite these amazing, amazing actors. So it all kind of came together. But what he brought to that character, Tarantino almost didn't make that movie because he couldn't find someone to play Landa. And Mm -hmm. he'd been casting it for like a year and a half. And then finally, this 40 something theater actor from Germany comes in and he's like, you're the guy. And there you go. Yeah, just fucking incredible. But so Escape from Alcatraz. So um, interesting to hear the perspective of a descendant of two of the alleged escapees. Okay. And that we've got it all wrong. Go figure. A movie was tailored to make, you know, a leading man look great. Right. <clears throat> when actually and made the, the brothers look like kind of bumbling idiots that couldn't do anything. They're just kind of the heavies. What are you doing? What we're doing? What? Okay, great. You let, us, do it? you let us know Clint Eastwood what to do because you know, we have no idea when it was actually their idea. And you know, so um, I didn't know that. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Really interesting to hear just the, the the criminal life of these brothers, you know, going back. And and he put a really uh, a really strange spin on it. Like, because at first, for the full first half of the interview, 14 mm-hmm. kids and brothers, and they did what they had to do. And, that, and then he just really innocently transitions into, so when they were robbing banks, then, then I went, well, okay. So they started robbing banks. All mm-hmm. right. So that's mm-hmm. so these guys were career fucking criminals who belonged in jail. Let's just get that out there. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, they right. were robbing people. Like they used yeah. their yeah. talents, to, yeah. which people do, and you they, know? Sure. And they weren't taking the money and funding an orphanage in Nigeria. No, they were. No. Right. They weren't like robbing. Mm-hmm. They were robbing banks because they mm-hmm. wanted the money. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Well, let's not romanticize them into the in, into thinking that they were victims somehow, because there were some no. moments in the interview where, you know, he was trying to endear us to, you know, like, oh, you understand. I'm like, no, no, I don't understand. I understand I mean, a lot of people grew up poor and weren't didn't end up robbing banks. Right. I think yeah. that, you know, the whole point of it is that the truth of it is, is that, yeah, they were robbing banks, but they weren't just dumb hicks and they weren't, you know, they had a lot going on. And I think that I could see how that would be frustrating 60 years on and people think, it was the other guy when it was really these, these two guys. And, yeah, well, and I, I loved also, that. Go ahead. Sorry. You go. And I loved how, you know, you can track it back. You know, there's nothing that I love more than when you get context for something. And it's like, of course, they were doing this since they were kids. Like, yeah. you know, they were brothers and they had the, I mean, I have a huge connection with my sister in that way of like when you're children and you're just, you just do shit together and you just create and you, you know what I mean? Like it just so reminded me of my childhood with my sister. We, um, you know, spent a lot of summers on my dad's property and it was like way out in the woods and there was freaking nothing to do. And we just did stuff, you know? And so it totally reminded me of that. And I love that part. I made me think a lot about, you know, just other uh, excellent prison movies like Shawshank Redemption. Okay. And specifically, um, when the young guy shows up and he's telling the story about, you know, how he got arrested still on the TV and that he's, someone said, I heard you did, you went to jail at this place. He goes, Oh yeah, that was an easy piece of time. I was there for a year. And then Andy Dufresne says the obvious says, maybe you should consider a different profession. Cause you don't seem to be very good at being a thief because you've been in and out of jail your whole life. Okay. And so that made me question remembering that the assertion or the, the, the kind of hypothesis that these brothers were these criminal masterminds because they kept escaping from prison. No, they kept going to prison. So they obviously weren't really great at, at being thieves because they kept getting caught, you know? Well, I think that you can sabotage yourself. I think that like, yeah, by, by were- by, 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 you sabotage yourself by keep engaging in criminal activity. No, but I know, but you know, just, okay. So like, they were always coming up with ideas on how to get away, right? Once they got caught, but they never were able to take it to the next level of creating a plan where they actually succeeded and got them out of that life. You know, and I think that sometimes right. And that's and that's my point. That's my point. Is that yeah. <clears throat> eventually they got smart. Eventually, mm-hmm. if if we believe that yes, they escaped. And they made it to Brazil. Okay. They finally had a come to Jesus moment with each other when they're like, all right, if we get out of this, we're going legit and we're going to be fucking farmers and that we're not breaking the law anymore. And they, and they stuck to it. If, if, See, if all of this is true, that, that must've yeah. happened. I don't think that they went legit in the way that you think they do because you know, he said, my brothers were running drugs. Like they were not, they were career criminals. 
you know, so that's what makes it hard to try to figure out. Cause usually when you're criminals and you get caught, that's the first leverage that you use is to be like, Hey, I got a story to tell you, you know, if you right, want to take some they, But was the drug, <clears throat> excuse me, was the drug running allegedly after they had escaped? Yes, I think they were somehow. And this is where the, you know, this guy was like a horrible tease, like the, throughout the yeah. entire thing. So yeah. I don't know, you know, we're going to have to read the book to figure out exactly. But it, I feel like when they were in Brazil, they probably had a farm and they probably still did some criminal activity stuff. Mm. But I, I don't know. That would surprise Just based me. On the, it would surprise me because when they were, when they were doing bad stuff, they would get caught and go to jail. Right. And if they got out in, in the mid sixties, and we're around till the mid to late eighties in Brazil, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I would imagine that they, uh, that they went straight, but regardless. <clears throat> so what I liked was that the, apparently the movie was, was pretty spot on with how they escaped, not with whose mm-hmm. idea it was, but with how they did it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. creating the, the dummies, um, the, uh, the hair collection was genius falling into the cuffs of his pants. I love that. I absolutely I love that. Yeah. I loved it too. It also reminded me of Shawshank Redemption. Of so, course. Of Frank course. Kept the holes in his pockets and would take his wall out, right? And just dump it out onto the yard. And, and really, really cool. Um, and just how kind of punching the clock some of these federal employees were, the prison guards, you know, like not noticing what I noticed, I don't know if they were able to match the paint with the cardboard girl that they put in, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's, but here's the thing. They were able to use, like, they probably underestimated these guys completely. They had yeah. to, have because they, they were like, there's no way that they would ever be able to create something like this. Yeah. A lot of it's, a lot of it's circumstance. A lot of it is circumstance and coincidence. It was a dilapidated building where the, the concrete had been affected by the saltwater air, the sea air for decades and decades and decades. A couple design flaws. No one thought anyone would be able to get into the walls. And so the pipes become like a ladder that probably was, didn't even come into play. Um, uh, so, all right. We'll get to a bunch of things, but the fact that they could uh, acquire 50 raincoats without anybody knowing what the guy mm-hmm. didn't answer is where did they keep the 50 raincoats? Like in the wall, once they got it, how did they get a raincoat yeah. into their cell without anyone seeing, you know, so there's some questions that I'd love to have answered. Once you get something yeah. in your cell and you have any point of egress into the wall, into their kind of secret shop, um, fine, I get it. But getting something into your cell without the guards noticing. That's a question. And 50 times, 50 fucking raincoats is a lot. Um, I loved the, 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 the man, the DIY vulcanization of the rubber seams. Amazing. Right. On the, on the hot water pipes, just, I mean, I vulcanized shit before it's a pain in the ass. Um, so that was, that was amazing. Um, and then, uh, I don't want to skip around too much, but I just love the, um, the allegation or, or the, <clears throat> the idea that they fed one of the guys bad information on purpose. Yeah. Okay. To like, to get away. I find that really cool. And we'll, and we'll get to that in a second, but so. This was a very strategic, creative, ingenious operation. 
This yeah. was not like, hey, I'm going to knife the guard, steal the key. Like, you know, it was not brutal at all. So and my, I think that- the question is, why would the brothers have a third, a third person? Um, well, I think he did bring something to the table of being, you know, IQ of 133 is not something mm-hmm. to, you know, poke a stick at or whatever that saying is. And But I think that they knew him. He had a history of escaping too. They were probably like, yo, brothers, you know, hey. Right. Um, I don't, the question would be is why they would need a fourth. Why this West guy sounded like just a piece of garbage. Like yeah. what was he bringing <clears throat> to the table? So. The fourth, to, you know, to the earlier point would be for misdirection, to leave them behind mm. on purpose, feed them up, fill them up with bad information, and then and then not let them join you, you know? Yeah. And, oh, and, I didn't think that. Yeah. And hope, and hope that he'll have like some burning resentment and just want to sing like a fucking canary and, and mm. it'll all be bad information, you know, which, which would mm-hmm. be great. But- it, I'm so I've been thinking about it since yesterday and trying to poke holes in this guy's story. And now again, he wasn't fully forthcoming and I get it, he's got a book to sell and everyone should go read the book when it comes out. I'm going to get it. Um, but uh, he said, so what they told Wayne, the guy who was left behind, I think that was his name. Uh, Wes. Wes. Thank you. Was that, all right, we're going to, we're going to paddle to shore. We're going to steal a car and we're going to go to Canada. Okay, great. That's what they told him. And so you could figure out how long it would take for them to paddle to shore and figure out where they might be and what shore to go to and what the tides were doing that night and, and, and figure out all that stuff. But the reality of it was that they were going to hitch a ride on the last ferry and like kind of water ski behind the boat. Right. Yeah. Is what, is yeah. what they were going to do. Yeah. Now it depends on what kind of boat it was. Because if I'm thinking if it's like a little, just kind of open, like motorboat. No, it wasn't okay. like that. It was like a Staten Island ferry, like a big, big, big. Not, not that big. Not that big. No, in between. it was like way smaller than that. Just like, enough, I mean, it's not going to be that big because, you know, there's not that many employees. But, but it's like, and, and I think that. It's like they a little, fi- see what I'm saying? Stuff. If it's a little fishing boat, you'd see somebody hanging off the back of it. If it's a little outboard but, and you're sitting there, <laughs> but you got to understand it was dark. Yeah. It wasn't like a huge thing. It wasn't like a, the Staten Island ferry boat. It right, was but like you'd a, feel the drag. If it's a smaller boat, you'd feel that you'd think something was wrong. If you're the, if you're the captain of the boat, you'd feel that drag is what I'm saying. If it was, it gets to a point of where it's a small enough boat, you'd know something was wrong and you'd stop. I don't know enough about boating to know, but I was totally like, oh, I can totally picture it. That's exactly what they did. Because if you look at the oars that they had, they weren't big oars. Like the Mm -hmm. oars, it would make sense. Like they probably created the oars just to make it look like that they were going to oar across the bay. Right. And really it was like they were going to drag the whole time and then oar over to the boat or oar over to the island where they were going to get picked up by the boat. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's just assume... Let's assume that the mm-hmm. boat was of a big enough size where the captain wouldn't notice the drag. Okay. okay. And then yeah. they get there. Mm-hmm. Then what? They get where? They get to shore where the, the, they get to the ferry dock. Okay. Yeah. So then that boat, that lone boat took them into the sunset or sunrise or whatever time it was that they got on. <laughs> 
Right, but when they get to shore, what's the, then what's their plan? Their plan was to get the boat. And then and then where do they and then take the boat somewhere? Steal the boat? And then the boat was supposed to be coordinated to pick them up. Right, to pick them up on Alcatraz. To pick them up either at the midway point, they drop off from the the tugboat or whatever it was, the ferry boat, right. and and then paddle over. But then, then if an- that's the case And then another boat picks them up. Yeah, that the the boat that was idling is the boat that picked them up. All right, and we don't know where that would take them. That was set up ahead of time or Well, yeah, it was supposedly, you know, sent, you know, they were going wherever they were going to go. Right. I so, mean, they just were free. Right. Right, but that my my my, my state the, what I'm saying is that basically they would still have to do something steal a car get clothes, like do whatever. It's not like those aspects of what they told Wes were completely off the table suddenly. Well, they, they wouldn't have to steal anything because presumably if the people were going to help them enough to bring a boat, to pick them they up, would they have would have stuff for them. them. And they would be taking them to their next destination. And if their fr- you know, childhood friend who knew how to fly plane, who was a pilot, yeah. could fly them wherever they wanted to go. You yeah. know, go to some small airstrip, hop on. They wouldn't need passports. They wouldn't need anything. Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, that audio recording, I, I, if you didn't realize, it's not in the show. Yeah. Like, terrible, terrible. It sounded like a no. cat fight. It sounded like a low energy cat fight. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't no, make I, out a I, single word of it. Not a single I, word. Okay. So yeah, that didn't uh, that didn't end up in the show, but it cut it cut it cut very nicely. It cut very nicely. Um, so uh, so yeah, man, I'm telling you, it's a great it's a great story. It's up there, you know, for me anyway. It's up there with the DB Cooper case, you know, like absolutely. Like we'll never know. We'll never. I'm know surprised they, they don't think about those. I'm surprised they don't think one of them is DB Cooper. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll never know what the one. That, and mm-hmm. and I don't think. As much as I want to know, I think it's better if we don't. I, I, it's one of those enduring, like American mysteries, you know. I think I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm convinced they got. A, I got away. Before I didn't think they had, but I'm now convinced that they did. When you just think about how easy it would be to just quietly drown in the frigid San Francisco Bay and. And have a shark eat you, and and that's it. And it happens really, really quick, and we'll never know. Right, but there was three of them. Yeah. Out of all the three, they would have found at least one body. What if it sparked a, a one of those National Geographic shark feeding frenzies that you see, where they just eat everything, including each other, and they're that's just completely that's just the best, just the pessimist in you. You just don't. Why? I'm surprised you don't want to believe that they got away. Come I'm on, just get thinking on about what's what's most likely, right? But, so you don't think they survived? I don't. You I don't, don't? I don't think they survived. I don't think they survived. And here's why. I know a couple of people who have done the Alcatraz triathlon, okay? Where oh my gosh, of, there is, there's a, something called an Alcatraz yeah, triathlon? Yeah. Because where you, where the swim part is San Francisco Bay, where you swim to the island and back, okay, mm-hmm. and um, and you have to train 
so long and wear a fucking wetsuit because no matter what time of year it is, it's frigid. The water is absolutely freezing. Um, And so for these three dudes who'd been in prison for a long time, not strong swimmers because they haven't been swimming ever in years. Okay. Mm -hmm. They don't have wetsuits. They think, well, we've got these inflatable rafts that we made in in our fake shop and we'll paddle with these little oars and we'll just fucking paddle, right? And even if they're not paddling, even if they are being towed behind a ferry, that changes the calculus a little bit. Um, That would make it obviously much more likely that someone survived it. Um, But then you're talking about people keeping secrets for a really long time. And th- and three hardened criminals keeping their noses clean in the U.S. or somewhere else to the point where no one drops a dime on them, and not having any enemies out there or making new enemies where someone would turn them in, not pissing a woman off somewhere down the road, right? Not or not getting drunk and telling a story and having someone turn you in. I mean, to escape and to stay escaped. One thing that these U.S. Marshals will tell you is nearly impossible. We had that idiot over the summer in Pennsylvania, right, who was out for like 13 days. And they're like, it's a matter of fucking time. I mean, we're going to get him. And they did. <clears throat> so right, but here's 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 the 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 where I'm going to push back on this a little bit, because I think that if it was today's time, they wouldn't have been able to keep their mouth shut. They wouldn't, their social media, you know, facial recognition software, all of that stuff, right? This is back in the early 60s. And you had an ent- almost an entire prison of guards, I mean, of prisoners who knew that it was happening and they all kept their mouths shut, you know? That they, social the- aspect of things, that social experiment, little civil disobedience was really, really interesting that they wanted this escape to happen in, a, in order to have the prison closed down so they can get better legal representation. That- And worked. That sounds like a, that sounds up. like a movie, right? Like fucking right there, you know? Absolutely, yeah. okay. So so you have that. So it kind of flies in the face, this idea, because normally I would completely agree with you that they, you know, people can't keep their mouth shut. But you've got two of the three are brothers who are such tight brothers. Yeah, they're two, like, they're solid. They're, yeah. They are, they are <clears throat> solid. They are not flipping on each other. With that hillbilly, that, that hillbilly Omerta, right? Like we, we keep our fucking mouth shut and blah, 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 blah. hundred percent. You know what? Totally. Yes. The family was like that. Even when they got the photos, do you think for a second they called anybody? They're like keeping it in close in the family Absolutely. because we want to make sure that our kin don't get caught, you know? Kin. <laughs> I mean, Wow, you sound like, are you from the fucking Ozarks all of a sudden? (laughs) You just said the words, make sure our kin don't get caught. That was, you said that. Because when you're talking about, when you're talking about, I get this family dynamic. Yeah, apparently. I mean, hey, when it comes to my clan, like, I, yeah. you know, you're going to do oh. anything for your family. You know what I mean? Well, here's what's weird. Here's what's interesting. That made me, again, bank robberies. So um, graduated high school in early 90s. Okay. Um, 91 uh, Point Break comes out. Classic of American cinema. 
heist movie. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Uh, and two kids that I went to high school with. One kid, Mike Mitchell, I sat next to him in homeroom for four years in high school. I knew him well. And uh, another kid, Tim Minahan, who's a year older than us, great basketball player. Um, they found themselves in some kind of jam behind some illegal activity. They owed money, whatever. And uh, 100% inspired by Point Break, they become bank robbers. They put the masks on, they go into banks, and they do it. And they do it like successfully a handful of times. Um, and then Mike's sister, uh, I think the story was she was looking for like a, a pair of like snowboarding boots or something. And for some reason, she went into her brother's closet in his bedroom and sees a duffel bag full of cash, a mask and a, and a shotgun. And she she turned him in. Because she was afraid that he was going to get shot in a fucking bank robbery shootout and didn't want her brother to die. <clears throat> and she turned him in and they got popped for, uh, you know, robbing federal banks and making terrorist threats because they'd say like, move and I'll blow your fucking head off. Say that to a federal employee. And it's a lot different than saying it to like someone on the street um, and especially in the commission of a crime. And they, they got uh, they got 40 years each. 40 fucking years. Um, and they're out now. They're out. It, I think. I think Tim got out sooner, or one of them got out and fucked up again and went back in, and one got out after like twenty five years, like on good behavior. Um, but apparently, they're both out. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 legit. So all of that family stuff, you know, it it just I guess it depends on on who the family member is, you know. Because if like I was, and I was, I thought about it a lot over the years and me and all my friends have, have, have talked about it and our, our, our opinions of it have kind of evolved over time. Um, like if it was my brother, would I just turn him in? Would I go talk to him about it? I don't know. Um, if I thought that his life was in danger, I'd hundred percent turn him in. And then I'm like, okay, bank robbery is inherently dangerous. So his life would always be in danger. So does that mean I would turn him in? I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. Mike's sister was like, fuck, I don't want my little brother to die. So I'm, I'm calling the cops. I, but I don't know. But if we grew up like these two, like these two brothers grew up where they were always in it together, that's a different scenario. Like Mike's sister wasn't on the bank robbery team with him and then decided to turn him in, you know? Um, so it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison. Um, when it's a partner in crime and a brother, I think that's different. <laughs> But I don't know. Well, it's like you... If, you, if you imagine that as a movie, I'm like thinking the sister's a villain. You know what I mean? Like, as you're describing it, I'm like, don't turn him in. I mean, 40 years. But then again, yeah. it's like, you know. But say she doesn't turn him in and and it and it descends into a shootout. And instead of Mike getting shot, he, he kills people. Like, how is she going to mm -hmm. feel? You know? No, I mean, I know. I mean, this is a, this is a, but it's I, weird. I but what you just said, what you just said is such a, a classic um, kind of canard in American cinema where the person doing the right thing is considered the bad guy. Okay. Like take escape from Alcatraz. Why is the, I said it myself a half hour ago, the warden's the bad guy. Why is the warden the I bad guy? I picked up on that because the warden is a small man in a, a position of authority 
I and guess. takes it out on people that um, are vulnerable. You know, that's they're all, why they're all criminals. They're, they're all criminal. They're an Alcatraz. They're bad, bad people, I guess. Yes. And they should be, you know, treated with some level of humanity, but another classic example, another Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven, one of the greatest Westerns ever made 1993. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman is the bad guy. All Gene Hackman's trying to do is keep outlaws out of his town to keep the peace in his town. Clint Eastwood, Will Money, is a murderer of women and children. He admits it. He fucking admits it. But we, well, we I, cheer for Clint Eastwood. I I had a conversation with a psychiatrist about this thing. Like, why do we cheer? Because it's for that Hollywood uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. project. Like, why do we cheer for the bad guys? Why do we cheer for Hollywood? And he's like, there's that piece of us that loves the 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 protagonist who's who's not who's both b- good and bad, right? Because yeah. that's how we want that's how we see ourselves. But we're just the lemmings, and we just you know go about our daily lives. Whereas, you know, there's that that specific type of character who who does the things that we wish we could only do, you know, in 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 yeah. whatever they're doing. So it's a way to kind of you know because if you look at the heroes, they're not like. We don't necessarily like the heroes that are like Superman that are like, okay, they're, they're perfectly good. They do everything right. right. We like the ones that are more complicated that are kind of like hero, the complicated anti-heroes, but it's all right. Like when you see the whole marketing campaign 20 years ago for oceans 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was something to the effect of only in Vegas are the criminals, the good guys. Okay. <laughs> and that, but, but in terms of movies, that isn't true, right? Because of what we're, what we're talking about now. All right. Like, all right. Another great example, great movie, uh, The Town, Ben Affleck masterpiece, heist movie, mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, it was based on a book called The Prince of Thieves. All right, so Ben Affleck's the good guy in that. John Hamm is the FBI agent who we're all like, yeah, Ben Affleck told him to go fuck himself, woo! All, ben, mm-hmm. all, all, all Hamm is trying to do is catch bank robbers who shot up the fucking North End with machine guns, okay? That's all that he's trying to do, but we root and cheer for Ben Affleck. Why? Because he fell in love with a cute girl and wants to leave the life behind. Yo, you're a bank robber, mm-hmm. right? And people died because of shit that you did, but we cheer when he gets away. I know because it's that part of us that want to live that vicariously through this character. It's exciting. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I, and I think that especially if there's like economic pressures happening, you know, we, we yeah. should, like for Bonnie and Clyde, I think like, you know, during the depression, when that whole thing, people were one. Dillinger. rooting for them. Great one. And yeah. it's like, because there's a mistrust of the government, there's a mistrust of authority. Yep. There's, you know, so it makes perfect sense to me, but it's like. It makes sense emotionally, know. but at the end of the day, in real, in a real world scenario, okay, mm-hmm. I want the cops mm-hmm. catching the bad guys. I want yeah. the cop catching the bank robbers. I do. I know, but there's a little part of me that loves ingenuity and loves people who think outside the box and loves thumbing their nose at authority. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I eat that up like mana. I love it. I love I know, it so much. I, I know. I, and, I, being un, and, and being underestimated. All those you. things. Using that to your advantage. But at the and, end and, of the day, if if you, Carolyn Osorio, are standing in between one of these ingenious, you know, guys who escaped prison 
If you're standing in between him and freedom, he will shoot you in the face. And that's way just to bring it, way to bring it down, man. It's just true. I'm just telling you, it's just true. Okay. I had this romanticized because, you know, I've seen movies and pirates and pirates are great and pirates, pirates, pirates. Then I read this James Michener book, Chesapeake, and a whole middle chapter is about actual pirates and piracy mm-hmm. in the Chesapeake Bay in, you know, 1700s. And it was, I mean, it was awful. If you yeah. read actually what shit that pirates did, you're not going to romanticize them anymore. You okay, know? but here's the thing. I'm the hero of my own story. Do you yeah. think I would let somebody just, that's when I, I mean, you have your Kung Fu fantasies. You know, I have. <laughs> I'm just saying, you can I'm praise, saying, praise like, the ingenuity of smart criminals, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. they're criminals and they will do what they have to do to escape. So you can't well, say, oh my God, them. I'm a big fan of it. Bang, you're shot. Okay, wait a second. Right. Wait a second. That's not what girl. I would. Okay, that is not girl. what I would be doing. You don't even know the skills that girl. I have. You don't even know the skills that I have, Brandon. That You're is not. You'd be sitting what I there fangirling over an ingenious bank robber, okay? And then, and then you take a round in the gut, and you're like, "Oh my god!" But I'm a fan. <laughs> no, I'm on your side. I'm going to do a podcast about you. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't give a shit oh my i'm so glad that that's how you <laughs> that's how you see me thank you for that wow It'll cold I, am not, I am so not indulging you in your fantasies any longer reality okay reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <sighs> all right well uh this marks a, um, a really interesting uh, uh, evolution in criminal mischief where this was about uh, a bank robbery and not about a, a terrible, vicious murder that makes me sad. Um, yeah. So I like I like expanding the content here. Well done. I want more of this. Um, so you. hopefully we'll get more out of it. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please go over to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate and review the show. Maybe share with your friends. That would help us out a ton. And also please consider supporting the great companies that support our show. Because without them and without you, uh, it would just be Carolyn and I breaking each other's balls. So thank you, as always, for joining us here on Criminal Mischief. I am the producer of the show and apparently, according to Carolyn, the co-host of the bonus content. So I can uh, I can claim that moniker now. And um, for Carolyn Osorio, anything you'd like to add? Nope. Great. Well, thank you very much for the episode. And uh, want to tease anything for next week? You know, I will tease. One of the stories that I want to work on is um, this whole idea of the uh, Munchausen proxy. Um, mm. Are you familiar with that? And Munchausen, the, the by pro- Mun- Munch- Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's sick. I know. And, and I've sick. honestly, like, usually stories like that I stay away from because it's just, again, like, the betrayal of parents with children is just so, Ooh, oh, so gosh yeah but i think yeah. I'm, I'm i'm wading into that remember that b story in the sixth sense uh, that, part of that that woman that that kept her daughter sick by poisoning her food when she was already sick because I she liked the attention and she wanted the sympathy from people oh you have a sick daughter oh 
brutal. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. gosh. Well, all right, great, great. Don't yeah. make her, don't, don't make me sad. Make it uh, make it exciting. Make it about a bank robber that you can fangirl over. I'm still shot in the gut here. I'm still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recovering from my wound. <laughs> Well, now at least you know. Now at least you know that, you know, yeah. criminals won't give a shit if you're a fan or not when they're trying to make a getaway. Okay? So keep Got that it. in mind. I, I get it. I'm like a non-playing character that's <laughs> going to get, like, whacked. Yeah. Keep it in mind. All right. Well, until, ne- until next week, Nation, thank you for joining us, and uh, please stay safe out there. From Cloud 10, Criminal Mischief is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and myself. Music by Soundstripe. I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.